Let me open us up with a word of prayer, and then we'll get into the Bible study for tonight. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for um, being with us. We thank you that, that you are the God who never changes, uh, the same yesterday, today, and forever. You're the God that we can rely on, the God who doesn't flip-flop, isn't wishy-washy, here today, gone tomorrow, doesn't try as hard as, God, you're the God who was and who is and who is to come. And because of that, we can put our hope in you. Lord, I pray as we read through your scripture tonight, as we look at, uh, we begin looking one, at one of the more difficult sections of Revelation, as, as we turn our eyes toward the woman and the dragon, Father, I pray that we would see the woman and see the dragon, but more than that, we would see Christ. God, help us, help us to understand what we read and apply it to our lives. In Christ's name, amen. We are um, looking tonight, this is um, going back into our Revelation study, Revelation chapter 12. And as we're, as we're looking at Revelation 12, um, this is kind of a turning point. Revelation 1 through 11, um, there, there are certain points on which this turns. The Revelation 1 and 1, 2 and 3 are really the things that are. It talks about the churches that are currently in existence. The letters are going to specific churches. In chapter 4, it kind of turns to the things which are yet to come. And it begins, um, we begin to see the heavenly scene open up before us. Um, as we move through some of those, we see the, the lamb who's worthy to open the scroll. We see him opening the seals on the scroll and some of the judgments of God beginning through that. We see the second round of judgments that are really, uh, more than just, more than just, uh, like another set of judgments. It's, a, it's judgments to the next level, um, through the trumpets. And we finish now the trumpets. And there's a period that'll be chapters 12 through 15 where there's much more, where there, there's not a set of seven things going on, seven trumpets, seven seals. Uh, later we'll talk about seven balls, but, but there is kind of a set of seven. There's kind of seven passages in this section of Revelation, and we get into a lot more of the allegorical, a lot more of the visual scenes that that really, no, no, hold on just a second. I need you to get out, buddy. Okay. Get on in. Close the door, please. Thank you. Okay. So as we're, as we're studying those, um, you'll kind of sense a turn. Read with me. Revelation chapter 12. We'll read verses one through six to begin with. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns. And on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them into the earth. 
and the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished 1260 days. We see at the start of this chapter, uh, God's, we see this vision of a woman and it, it, and, and it's an interesting vision. Listen, listen to how she's described. She's clothed with the sun. Now, where have we heard that before? Where have we heard that idea of a woman being clothed with the sun or a, a person, a man? being wrapped up as though the as though the light was a garment. Yeah. So, Psalm 104, uh, verse 2, talking about God, the psalmist says, covering yourself with light as a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. See, see, for God, um, wearing this wearing the sun like a like a shirt, <laughs> that's that's just who he is. That's what he does. It's a picture of the radiance of his glory. It's a picture of him being majestic over all creation. Jesus is the one who's pictured as, as the son of man in Daniel 7, clothed in radiant light. We see God himself clothed in radiant light. We see him on the throne and we see the, the rainbows around him, the light emanating from him as though it were his clothes. And we see a similar description of this woman. Who is this woman? What is she doing? With the moon under her feet. Now that's, that's another interesting reference. Uh, we don't talk about this book very often, but Song of Solomon, chapter 6, verse 10. Who is this who looks down like the dawn? Beautiful as the moon, bright as the sun, awesome as an army with many banners. Ooh. This imagery that John is taking from Old Testament text, weaving into his visions, it gives us a, 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 we are supposed to see this woman and in one sense be awestruck at what's happening. At the other sense, uh, we are to be on the edge of our seats waiting to see what happens. So she is clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, and on her head, a crown of 12 stars. Now, I wonder what those 12 stars are. Anyway, she continue, we continue. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. So we have this woman, pregnant, clothed in the sun, it's, it's, it's this fantastic vision, but it's about to get even crazier because what happens next? There's another sign. There's something else that appears. A great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns. This is um, not the first time we'll see a dragon. This is not the first time we'll see something with multiple heads, multiple thorns in Revelation. But it gives you a sense of just how striking, how fearful this picture must have been. In Isaiah 27, it talks about 
the Leviathan, and it talks about God. It says, In that day the Lord, with his hard and great strong sword, will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, the twisting serpent, and he will slay the dragon that is in the sea. Doubtless, that is in John's mind as he's watching all of this unfold. But we have this this dragon, this red dragon, with these seven heads and these ten horns, and those ten horns on those seven heads also holding up seven diadems. Diadem, that's a crown. That's not just any crown. That's not the Stephanos crown that the, 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 the winner of the Olympics would wear. It's the royal crown. It's the, the crown of royalty. It's the king's crown. He is wearing seven diadems. Now, normally when we see the diadem, we see Jesus wearing it. But this dragon certainly isn't Jesus. What's going on here? Hang on. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth. Think about this scene. So that when she bore her child, he might devour it. Here's what's going on. This woman is ready to give birth. She is laying there just really trying to to birth this baby. There is no way that she can do anything about this dragon. There's no way she can fight it off. There's no way that she can get rid of it. Her birth pains are on her and there's nothing else she can do. And so on top of all of the stress of giving birth, all of the the emotions and, and things that happen in that point, she's looking at a dragon that's ready to eat her child. This is a desperate situation. What happens? She gave birth to a male child. One, listen, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. This word rule, it's actually the word for shepherd. Take care of sheep. But her child is rescued. The end of verse 5, But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. There's a lot of vivid imagery here, a lot of scary imagery. And, and it brings to mind a couple of questions. One of the questions that it brings to mind is, what is, who is this woman? Who is this child? What, what is this dragon? What is, who are the players in all of this? Well, let's look at the child. Because I think if we get the child, we'll understand who everybody else is. Verse 5, she gave birth to a male child one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. We have this um, picture of this child as one destined to reign. We've seen this before in Revelation. In fact, we've seen uh, 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 an individual who is set to rule with a rod of iron in chapter 2. In fact, turn, turn there. Turn to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation 2 Look in verse, this is, this is in the passage where he's talking to the church in Thyatira. Thyatira was the one that was tolerating Jezebel. She was uh, this person that claimed to be a prophetess but wasn't. 
but was leading Christians astray. And this church, instead of getting rid of this false prophetess, instead of getting rid of this person who was teaching contrary to scripture, they, they were just letting her go. They were letting her at it. Go for it. And God threatens them. He says, you need to repent. Not only do you need to repent, you need to get rid of her. In fact, the repentance that they need to do is to stop listening to her and get rid of her. He reminds them that he is going to judge them according to their works. But then there's a second group in Thyatira. And talking to them, verse 24, he says, But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. There's some that were following this false prophetess, and God is telling them, you need to repent because she's leading you to destruction. But then he says, to, to you other ones, the ones of you who aren't following her, I'm not going to put any other burden on you. Except for this, verse 25. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. So here we have the people who are faithful to God, the people who are, who are trusting in him, who are holding fast to the gospel, who are not letting it go. Those are the individuals who will be ruling Ruling with authority, ruling with a rod of iron. Brittany, I need you to get out, please. I'm recording. Please, go. Shut the door. Thank you, buddy. So the one who is ruling, the one who is in authority, the one who is reigning in chapter 27, it's promised to be the ones who are holding true to the word of God and not falling into false doctrine. And among them, the one who is to rule among those who are following God is the one whom God has appointed, his anointed one, his Messiah, his Christ. I believe this child is Jesus. And because the child is Jesus, it, it makes sense that the woman, well, the woman is kind of more difficult. The dragon, it's obvious, who's the one who wants to destroy Christ. Yeah, it's Satan. That one's obvious. The woman's a little more enigmatic. Let's see. In fact, this, this isn't the last that we see of this woman. Let, let's keep reading. See what we can find. Now war arose in heaven. Verse 7. All right. Now, let me, let me kind of fill in what we've missed. After she gives birth to the child, the child is rescued. God takes him and the woman flees into the wilderness. Now, again, this is, this is, in some ways, allegorical. But there's something more important that's going on here that isn't just in the allegory of it. And, and we'll see that in just a second. This isn't just about trying to put all the pieces together of who is this, who is that, and how they fit together. It, it's what is this teaching us beyond just the story of it? What, what truth does it point us to? And we'll see that as we read the next um, set of verses. In fact, this is kind of, if you've ever, I, you've heard me talk about before, some of you who, who have listened to me for a while, you've heard me talk about the Russian nesting dolls. You have the, the, the passages of scripture where on the outsides are some things. And then as you get closer to the inside, you peel away the layers, you get closer and closer and closer. And then the thing at the center is the most important thing. That's the core element of it. Um, we find the center in a few verses. 
But right now, we're still peeling away the outer layers. So, so hang on with attention. Verse 7. Now war rose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. So you have the dragon and his angels fighting against God's angels, led by Michael, the archangel. And they're defeated, and the great dragon was thrown down. That ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan. That's how we know the dragon is Satan. It's not just because it kind of looks like Satan up in the earlier verses. He tells us it's Satan. So that one's kind of easy. The deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to earth and his angels thrown down with him. Now, is John looking back or is he looking forward? Yes. What he's seeing in this image is what's happened in the past and it's what's happening in the future. It's kind of a way, you know, history kind of sometimes repeats itself. That's what's going on here. History is repeating itself. And John in this image is seeing something that has happened before, but it's still happening in the future. This battle has been going on for ages and ages and eons, but it's still ongoing. And it will continue to ongo, at least for a few more chapters. Uh, by the time we get to chapters 19 and 20 and 21, um, we'll finally have resolution to this battle. But in the meantime, it's still ongoing. The battle for men's hearts, the battle for people, the battle for truth, the battle for authority and power. Satan, his armies thrown down. And at this, we hear another voice from heaven. Voices from heaven are important in Revelation. This one, this one gives us the center of the chapter. Verse 10. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. Did you get that? Now, salvation and power and the kingdom have come. The authority of the Christ has come. Because now the accuser no longer stands in the court of heaven. God has declared the trial done. And the prosecuting attorney has been escorted out of the courtroom. There is no more accusation to come against the saints. There is no more condemnation to come against us for our sins. Because God has declared it to be null and void. God has declared that we have been justified. And because we are justified, because God has made us right, because he is the one that has wiped out our sins, he is the one who has reconciled us to himself, there's no one left to accuse. Satan's trying to accuse. He's trying to say, look at how bad these people are. Look at all the bad things they're doing. But God says, I'm not going to hear any more of it. Bailiff, take him away. And he's thrown down. Warring, battling, fighting for supremacy. And he's kicked out of heaven. And they that have conquered him. Mm. You want to know how to defeat evil? You want to know what to do when evil men oppress, scorn, persecute, vilify, destroy you want to know what to do when evil runs rampant around you? 
You want to know how to overcome the difficulty, the evil, the pain that you face? Verse 11, they have conquered him. By the way, it's all from him. It's all satanic. Any kind of evil is satanic. Not just the really bad stuff. Not just the stuff that we don't like. Um, not just the stuff that, that's easy for us to, to point our finger at and say, no, 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 that's bad. You really want to know how to defeat evil? Evil that comes from Satan, because that's where evil comes from. That's where the opposition from God ultimately comes from. That person that you look at as your enemy, that's not really your enemy. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And realizing that it's not against the flesh and blood, it's about the principalities, it's about the powers, it's about the rulers of darkness, the spiritual wickedness in high places. It's that is our enemy. Our enemy is Satan himself. And Satan doesn't want us to recognize that. He wants us to think that that idiot guy that just cut me off in traffic is the enemy. He wants me to think that 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 person that can't get the order right, no matter how many times I told him it's supposed to be plain, that person's our enemy. He wants Satan wants us to think of the neighbor that just continually plays his music way too loud as our enemy. He wants us to see other people as enemies because he knows that if he is undetected, he will win the battle. But we know it's him. And we know it's him because God shows us that it's him. The discernment that God gives us to not see the individual as our enemy, to not see the activist as our enemy, to not see the oppressive member of Congress or governor or whatever political office they may hold, not to see the faceless bureaucrat as the enemy. The enemy is Satan. The enemy is not your neighbor. It's not the person. That's not your enemy. Satan's the enemy. And we conquer him the same way they conquered him in chapter 12, verse 11. The same way we conquer him by the blood of the Lamb, by the thing that God has done for us, and the word of our testimony. Our speaking and living out what God has done. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. You think for just a moment, just think, how can you say that you can overcome Satan by anything physical? It's not charms. It's not crucifixes. It's not chanting certain words. The disciples tried to get rid of demons. They couldn't do it. What happened? They they weren't using the right power. If you want to defeat evil, it takes more than just a good army, though a good army helps. It takes more than bravery or honor or courage or valor, though those things are certainly parts. It takes more It takes more than giving them a piece of your mind. In fact, you probably don't need to give them a piece of your mind. It takes recognizing your enemy and fighting him with the right tools, the right weapons, wearing the full armor of God, that belt of truth that holds your pants up, those shoes of righteousness that keep your foot stable, that shoes of the gospel that keep your feet stable, that breastplate of righteousness that protects your heart, that helmet of salvation that protects your brain, your head, that shield of faith that guards you against the enemy's attacks, that sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You want to defeat evil, that's how you do it. 
That's how they defeated evil. Remember, Revelation was written to churches that were being pressed on every side. Some of them were being persecuted. Some of them were being deceived and led astray. Some of them were being distracted. All of them were being persuaded one way or another to fight on the wrong turf, to do battle against an enemy that didn't even want to come out of the shadows. And all of them conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. And so will we. Therefore, verse 12, Rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. You see, now that he's thrown down, he ain't got long. So he's got to act quickly. And what do you do if your back's against the ropes and time is running out? You get even more intense in your fight. The battle is coming, and it's coming much more intensely. I don't know how long. It may be decades or centuries from now. It may be days or months. I don't know. I do know this. I know how to win by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. When the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, so so he realizes, oh wait, I'm on earth. The woman is on earth. I'm going to go get her. He pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. This is kind of going back a little bit. Um, but the woman was given the two wings of the great evil so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to a place where she is to be nourished for time, times, and half a time. Time, times, and half a time. Well, that's that's the amount of time in Daniel 7 that God's enemy reigns. It's as though God has ushered her out into a deserted place to protect her from his rule. The serpent found her. Verse 15, the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman. I don't quite understand. All I know is that in the imagery that he's seeing, it's like a tidal flood rushes at this woman. And just as Noah and the ark is spared from the floods, this woman is spared as well, but she isn't spared in a boat. She's spared by the earth that opens up and swallows the river. God providentially protecting this woman. Then the dragon became furious with the woman. I, he can't get to her. So what does he do? He goes after, look at this, verse 17. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her offspring. On those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. This woman has some interesting children. One is Christ. The others are followers of Christ. You might think this woman is the church. You can make the argument that this woman is faithful Israel. I could see those. But in either case, God is protecting her. God is keeping this dragon from destroying her. So the dragon turns to her children. What happens when evil begins to reign? Terror. That's what happens. One thing I like about John's writing is that he doesn't hide the fact that evil will come. We can't take the promise of no evil as a sign of God's protection. It just doesn't work that way. How do you know how good an umbrella is if you never use it in the rain? You don't. How do you know 
how do you know if that of glove you bought online for two easy payments of 1995 really works if you never use it to carry a hot pan? You don't. How do you know that you are protected? How do you know that you're protected if you never see the crisis? Now, the way we know God protects us, the way we know that God overcomes evil by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony is that we have to have that testimony. We have to be able to point to the time. This is the time when God defeated evil. And we can. We celebrated it last week. Easter. That's the moment in time. That's the the point in history where God protected us from evil. That's the moment where God proved that the blood of the Lamb was enough. It was enough to save us from our sins. It was enough to make us right with God. But it was also enough to defeat evil. And because we know that, because Christ died and rose again, we have a faith that is sure and foundational firmness more than anything else that we can imagine. We have a faith that will stand the test of time. We have a faith that will endure to the very end. One that will bear fruit. Because of Christ's resurrection, evil's already defeated. We just got to let the rest of the game play out. In chess, you make a move that's a mistake. You probably won't know that it's a mistake. At least if you're playing a good player. If you're playing some people, they'll just tell you, oh, that was dumb. What did you do that for? But if you if you make a bad move, the professional test pl- chess player is ready to strike. And you don't realize it until it's too late. You might see it a little bit later on in the game, 15, 20 moves later. Maybe you see it when you start losing pieces left and right and realizing, oh, no, I've really backed myself into a corner. Maybe you don't even see it for a while because it looks like you're winning, but he's positioning the pieces. But eventually there comes a point when you realize, I've lost this match. And your only hope is that your opponent makes a mistake. That's the position Satan's in. He's already lost. He's just hoping, praying, if you will, for a mistake. That's why he persecutes. That's why he fights so hard against because he realizes that the church of God, the people who are faithfully following Jesus Christ, they are his undoing. By the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony, evil has already been defeated. But we've got to play through to the end, y'all. Stay faithful. Put your trust in him. Keep that testimony. Share it with as many as you can because it sure would be great to celebrate with your family and friends the victory when it's finally won. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us all. Father, help us to fight evil with the right tools, to fight by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. It's not our wealth. It's not our smarts. It's not our tactics that will win the day. It's it's you. So, Father, help us fight the right way. Help us endure the persecution that we might see and to prepare the next generation for what they will have to endure. Help us be faithful. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.